0: All right. Well, good morning again. Man, hasn't it been great so far just to be with God's people, man, seeing life change? What a great morning. Thanks for being here. I'm excited for us to uh, dive into God's Word uh, together and uh, to just really kind of begin to unpack um, what Jesus has to say to us around the issue of money. Now, I know many of you woke up this morning and the first thought you had was, I really hope when we go to church he talks about money. Lord, please, he's answered your prayers. He did it. All right? We get to deal with it today. So we're dealing with uh, 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 just a a sermon called Jesus and Money. And the idea is that we begin to discover a biblical perspective, a kingdom perspective, uh, the perspective of Christ on how we should view this. And so we're going to look at a parable Um, that Jesus taught from in Luke chapter 16. Uh, Jesus loved to teach in parables. And if you're not sure what a parable is, this is a a story that Jesus would tell that took everyday situations to teach uh, deep, meaningful truths, right? So he would take an everyday situation and tell a simple story, but to teach and to convey a deep spiritual truth. And this particular parable in Luke chapter 16 is maybe one of the more confusing ones and takes us a little bit of of digging to really get at the heart of it and it's the parable of the dishonest manager or the shrewd uh, manager in Luke chapter 16 and so um, we're going to dive into that here in just a moment but I would tell you probably only two to three times a year uh, here at New Beginnings do we actually preach on the issue of money But if you look at the teaching of Christ, if you look at how often he dealt with this topic, what you discover is, if you walk your way through the Gospels, about 25% of what Jesus taught dealt with the issue of money and possessions. He just talked about it a lot. About one in every three parables had something to do with possessions and money. So if I were to balance my preaching with the teaching of Jesus on this issue, we'd be talking about it once a month, right? Right? But the, the reality is Jesus spoke about this a lot, and, and a question just came up in my heart of why. Why would he preach about this so much? Why would he spend so much time talking about money? And I think the answer is because he knows us. He knows our nature. He knows our weakness. He knows our tendencies, and he knows that we need wisdom when it comes to how we view and handle money. Right? Jesus, Jesus knows this about us because he knows our heart, right? And here's what he knows about our heart. Our heart is an idol-making factory, <laughs> right? We just make idols out of everything. And I don't know that there's anything in our lives and in the life of our culture that has been made more of an idol than money and possessions, Right? And so, because that's true, uh, Jesus speaks to this issue. And do, just think about it for a moment. Think about how much time spe- people spend thinking about money, obsessing over money, planning for money, working to make more money. Right? So, Jesus speaks to this issue a lot because he knows what we need most in relation to money is not more of it, but a kingdom vision for it. That's what he knows. We need because at the core, at the heart of this issue, we discover this is an issue of the heart. Money is an issue of the heart. Possessions, how we view this, generosity, it's all an issue of the heart. What do I mean by that? I'm meaning mo- money does not make you who you are. It does not change who you are. It simply reveals who you are. Right? So. A lot of people will say, you know, don't let money change you. I've never made the kind of money that could actually change a human. I'd like a crack at it. I'd be honest with you. I feel like I could pull it off, but I don't know that the Lord will ever trust me with it. But the the reality is money does not change us. Money does not make us, but money absolutely can reveal us. It can reveal us. Money has a way of exposing our true spiritual condition. It just has a way uh, of drawing that out. Um, think about the money that you have in your, in your bank account, right? Um, just think about the money that you possess. The money that we have essentially has no intrinsic value, right? It's worth what the government says it's worth. But it has no intrinsic value. Not only that, it is morally neutral and powerless. It's morally neutral and powerless. And yet, somehow... Satan can use this morally neutral and powerless thing to seduce us, to make us fall in love with it, and make us slaves to it rather than masters of it. So what Jesus spoke to this so often, so in Matthew 6, he says you can't serve two masters. It can't be God and money. It's got to be God over money, right? And so... The enemy uses this to, to tempt us. I don't know that anything tempts the human heart more than possessions and money. And it's why the Bible warns us not to live our lives in pursuit of wealth. Why? Because as our heart is fixated on it, we find ourselves lying, stealing, and cheating to get more of it, our, compromising our integrity to get more of it, running over people to, to get more being uh, envious of what they have, spending what we don't have, putting ourselves over it instead of God. Suddenly, this morally neutral, power powerless thing becomes a powerful influence in our life. So we've got to get a kingdom perspective, right? I'll tell you a situation that I experienced uh, when I was in college. I was uh, um, kind of, the, the semester had just started, and um, through a through some scholarships, my, my my school for that semester had gotten paid for, which was a huge blessing. And um, but you know, you apply for things, you apply for loans because you're not sure how <laughs> if it's all going to work out. And so um, I got a call from the business office one day, and uh, they said, "Hey, you've got a surplus in your account." And I thought that sounds fantastic. I'm on my way. And so I immediately make a beeline to the business office, and I go in, and they said, "Yeah, you've got this loan." that was applied to your account, it's giving you a surplus of of $2,000. Now, um, I didn't have to take the loan. I want everybody in the room to hear me say that. I didn't have to take it. Remember, school is paid for. And and 45-year-old Matt looks back at that moment and realizes the best thing in that moment to have done was to push away from that $2,000 and go, I don't need that. Everything is paid for. Costs are covered. Books are dealt with. Meals are taken care of. It's going to take... Way too long to pay that off. They're going to charge interest. All that stuff that we know now, right, that's what 45-year-old Matt Matt wishes he would have done. However, college Matt went, $2,000, yes, please, I'll take all of it right now. Check, money, order, how am I going to get that? Is it just a a wad of hundreds? I don't really care. Just put it in my hand, right? (laughs) And so they (laughs) literally just give me $2,000, right? Now, here's the thing. I took that $2,000, and I want everybody in the room to understand I didn't tie the dime off of it. I didn't give it to any, I didn't do anything constructive with it. I spent the rest of that semester eating where I wanted, doing what I wanted, and buying what I wanted. And as much as $2,000, you could do that for a college student, right? No, it was 20 years ago. And so here's what that exposed about me. And it's taken years of looking back at that little thing, and it's a funny thing to think about. It really did take me five years to pay that off, by the way. I look back at that moment. And I think, here's here's what I discover about myself. I did with that $2,000 what I perceived the other people got to do who never had to worry about money. I don't know for sure that that's what they... I did what I felt like was being withheld from me because they had more than me. And listen, that didn't reveal anything about them. It revealed everything about me, though right? It exposed me. It meant my heart was envious of what they had. It meant I was jealous of what they had. And the moment I had just a little bit, all I did was go do what they did. Money has a way of revealing who we really are. Think about our culture. I wonder if you would agree with me that our culture is already a slave to this, right? Already. I was (laughs) reading through some Things that celebrities have said about money By the way, if you ever just want to feel smart Read what celebrities say You'll always feel better about yourself um, one, one celebrity said this Said, whoever says money can't buy happiness Just doesn't know where to shop <laughs> Those of you who didn't laugh You went, wait a minute is that, that may be true I think I feel that way right now right? Another one said this If money doesn't bring you happiness It will sure help you be miserable in comfort but Golly, come on, man and then there was the great uh, philosopher, Snoop Dogg, who said, uh, I've always got my mind on my money and my... <laughs> i be honest with y'all. Uh, I didn't need this whole church to know the words to that song. <laughs> Every one of y'all <laughs> said, yeah, because I'm rolling down the street. Anyway... Goodness gracious. Y'all feel like we need to pray for a minute? because Holy moly. All right. That's how culture feels about this. What did Jesus say about it? What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Right? The kingdom and the culture are at odds with one another over this issue. Which means it is imperative, it is critical, it is massively important that the people of God get a kingdom vision for what we ought to do here. Because it is going to be wielded with some measure of power in my life. Either power to make it make me its slave, or power to be used for God's glory and somebody's eternal good. But it is going to wield power in my life. So we have to get a kingdom vision for this. All right, so grab your Bible. Let's look at Luke chapter 16. When you look at this parable, what you discover is every parable Jesus taught had this teaching moment, right? There's this kind of climax of the story that teaches us whatever it is he's wanting us to learn. But often, Jesus would make that teaching moment something other than what we expected, right? It was, it was, he, he loved to catch us by surprise, and that's kind of what we see here. In Luke 16. Let's start in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, this is Jesus speaking, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. All right, so you got a rich guy, and he's rich enough that he's got to have somebody else who manages his money and who owes him and his property and all that other stuff, right? And the boss finds out that this manager... Has been mishandling his money, probably overcharging people and and being dishonest. Verse 2. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Right? So the thing that happens to anyone who gets caught stealing from the boss happens to this guy. He gets fired, he gets his two week notice. Notice what he does next. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So this is where we see his his shrewdness and his cleverness come in. Just a little bit. He has this little... Window of time, and what we're going to see him do is make the most of this moment so that when his money runs out, when he no longer has a job, people will owe him and will welcome him into their homes. We're really going to see him begin to secure friends. So, look at verse five. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to, the, uh, to another, how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. I want you to notice what he's doing here. Notice what's going on. These people are probably floored at the opportunity that... To, to cut their debt here. This, one of the guys is able to cut his debt in half. They're being given the deal of a lifetime, but he's doing that so that when he is in need, when he is the one who owes what he cannot pay, they will embrace him and welcome him. And look at verse 8. This is the moment when Jesus flips it. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, when Jesus says unrighteous wealth, I want you to hear, he's not talking about being shady or corrupt not talking about sinful gain. He's talking about earthly wealth, earthly possessions, your earthly resources, and he's saying, use that in the making of friends, so that when it fails, because it will, you may receive. They may receive you into eternal dwellings. Right. So I said, it feels like kind of a confusing parable because here's why it feels like Jesus is setting the hero of the story as this crooked, dishonest criminal who steals from people and then lies behind his boss's back. And you go, that's the hero? And so it feels like this kind of odd moment. But Jesus loved to do this with parables. He loved to catch people by surprise with the heroes. Think about it. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? You've got this man who's beaten and bloodied. He's been robbed on the side. He's helpless. And the religious leader, the righteous one, the Pharisee, Walks right by and leaves him. But who stops and helps him? The Samaritan, the unclean one. Jesus loved to flip that on his ear, right? Think about the uh, parable of the prodigal son. The son comes home, and everybody that hears that story expected him to say, and the dad drug him out into public, absolutely rebuked him, and kicked him out of the family. But instead, the father runs to him and shows him compassion. Jesus tells a parable of two sons where the father comes to the sons and says I want you to go out into the harvest and work and one son says one son says no but he eventually obeys the other son says I'll do it but he never obeys and Jesus uses that to look at the Pharisees and tell them tax collectors and prostitutes will enter heaven before you right there's this moment where he flips and that's what we see him doing here He's catching them by surprise. And so the question is, what is it we need to grab this morning from what Jesus is teaching us? What is the perspective he is trying to shape for us when it comes to our money and our possessions? And I think there's two challenges that we see from Christ in this example. Here's the first. When it comes to our money, we must live with a sense of urgency in the way we use our time and resources. Live with a sense of urgency in the way we use our time and resources. Verse 8, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, that's a shock, right? Because all of us expected the master to go, Wait a minute, you gave them a price cut on money that was owed to me. Now I'm going to throw you in jail forever, right? That's what you expect. But it says he commended it. Well, what was he praising him for? He wasn't praising him for his incompetence or his embezzlement or his deception. Jesus wasn't praising dishonesty. He's he's praising this manager because he acted shrewdly with a sense of urgency. This guy was commended because he leveraged to the maximum potential the opportunity that was in front of him. He acted with Urgency and notice what Jesus says for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, what does he mean right there? I think Jesus is saying the people of this world are much better, they're more shrewd at using and leveraging their resources in their dealings with other non believers than believers are. That's what he's saying. Right? There is an understanding that, that they seem to have in this small window of opportunity, and they act with urgency to capitalize on it. Now think about this for a moment. This manager was in his two-week notice, and so he acted with urgency. He saw what was coming. He knew what was in his future, and he put a plan in place, and he acted with urgency. Uh, it is important that all of us take hold of this reality, Every single person in this room, we are living in our two-week notice. We are living in our two-week notice. I'm not talking about your earthly job. I'm talking about the span that God has given you on this planet between birth and when you will spend eternity with Him. We're living in our two-week notice. What do I mean by that? I mean, God's Word makes clear. Life is a vapor. A vapor. James 4 tells us that. James 4 says, our life is like a mist. It appears for a moment, then disappears. Psalm 144 says, our days are like a breath. They're like a passing shadow. And there are people in this room who would tell you that is absolutely true. And it goes in a measure of quickness that you can't even imagine. Imagine. It is a breath, it is a shadow, it is a mist. I heard one preacher say this week that life is like a roll of toilet paper, which is the less you have, the faster it goes. You know what I mean? And I was like, now that's an analogy that I can get my heart around, right? that, That ministers to me. I speak that language, right? The point is there should be a sense of urgency in how we live and in how we Use these resources because the time is near. We're all in our two-week notice. And even if you are young, we get caught in this trap of life feeling long because we measure it against one another. But take a moment and measure earthly life against eternity and you realize it's a blink. It's a vapor. It's, it's a moment and it's gone. And Jesus is saying... Because we're all living within our two-week notice, we may not know when. We may not know how. But this moment on earth is short. And either we will come to the end of it or the Lord God of heaven will return. Either way, we should live with a sense of urgency with what God has given us. It's the first thing I think we see. Here's the second thing. When it comes to our money, when it comes to our resources, we should leverage our time and resources for an eternal purpose, for what matters most. Look at verse, six, uh, verse 9. Excuse me. Jesus says, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so er- earthly possessions, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So Jesus is encouraging his followers here. I want you to remember that's who he's talking to. There are some other people around listening, but he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his church. And so Jesus is encouraging his church to be generous with their wealth, generous with their resources in this life so that in the life to come, there will be friends who have been impacted by that generosity who will welcome them and receive them into eternal dwellings. In other words, there are investments we can make in this life that will have an eternal impact. That's the point. Leveraging the time and the resources for what matters most. I think what we see here is Jesus is helping us understand that there will be people who will come to know Jesus because of how we used our resources, how we used our money. And when you get to heaven, they will be a part of welcoming you home. What a glorious gift. What a glorious thing to get to experience Men and women and boys and girls who meet you, welcome you into eternal dwellings and say, hey, you know that life of faithful obedience that you lived, that life of generosity, that life where you tithed, that life where you gave open-handed and helped others? God used that. It reached me, and I'm here. Man, that's a kingdom perspective. That is living with eternity in mind. And I think we struggle because we don't see past the bill that's due tomorrow. We don't see past what the kids need today. And it becomes impossible for us to live with eternity in view. And Jesus is saying, I'm commending this manager, not because he was dishonest, but because he made the most, he capitalized on this opportunity and leveraged everything he had so that he would be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's a kingdom perspective. In in the kingdom of God, in the economy of God's kingdom, wealth has nothing to do with what you amass or what you possess in this earth. And it has everything to do with what you are willing to leverage for eternity. By the way, I, I knew it was going to be a quiet sermon today. <laughs> you ever have that and you're just like, yeah, it's going to be quiet. Personal accumulation of stuff is is pointless. It doesn't mean don't take care of your family. Of course do that. It doesn't mean don't provide. Of course do that. It means that wealth in the economics of God's kingdom has nothing to do with what you possess on this side of heaven and everything to do with what you're willing to open your hand and see God use to change someone's life. That's wealth. That's prosperity. What am I willing to live without so someone else can know the Lord? That's wealth. That's how God measures it. That's kingdom economics. This is why Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because moth and rust are going to eat that up and destroy it. Instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If life really is short. By the way, do you believe that? The days are long the years are not, if life really is short, if it really is a shadow, if it really is a vapor, if it really is a moment, if it really is like grass that withers and flowers that fade, then we must live with a sense of urgency that moves us to leverage everything we have for an eternal purpose. So what does that look like? What does that look like practically? All right, I I hear you yelling, thank you. What does that look like? How do I do that? Um, What does it look like to to view what I have and my possessions and my time and my resources, my, my money with an eternal purpose? How do I live with a sense of urgency? How do I set my treasure in heaven? How do I do it? I think there's two quick things, two primary ways that we do this. The first one, the most important one, is not going to surprise you at all. The first thing you do is tithe. That's the first thing. Um, Tithing is the foundation, it is where biblical stewardship begins. It doesn't begin with what you give outside the church. It doesn't begin by, did you save for college? It doesn't begin by, do my kids have everything they need uh, or everything they want, excuse me? It begins with recognizing the command of Scripture to bring the tithe into the storehouse, that's the church, What is that? It's 10% of everything God has entrusted to us so that God says you can put him to the test and see if he will not meet you in that act of faith and provide for everything you need. It is engaging in the primary way God has given to see the world transformed. The church is God's plan A. He has given the mission to the church He has given the message of salvation and the gospel to the church. And he has entrusted us with this until he comes back, which is why the people who say he has transformed my heart, he goes, good, here's a way that I want you to engage so that the church can be a part of transforming other people's heart, so that I can continue to move in that. This is a kingdom principle. And listen, it's the first step. It's the foundation and every other area of generosity in our life is meant to overflow from being obedient in the first area, which is the tithe. Now, let's just, let's just and I, let me say this also. Don't hear this coming from somebody who's always done this right. The Darby family, we spent too many years not getting this right. I'm just being honest with you. We spent years after we knew we were called to ministry not doing this right. We believed the same lies you believed, which is there's not enough. It's not enough. Maybe one day I'll have a little bit more. I'll get that promo. Something good's going to happen. Things are going to get better. And we believe the same lie everyone else believed when we forgot the kingdom principle that says, he who is faithful with little will be trusted with more. But if you can't be faithful with little, you won't be trusted with more. So here's what I know. This is hard, especially if you don't have this set as a rhythm in your family. And I think there's several reasons why we struggle with the tithe. The first one is we've built lives with no margin for generosity. Are you with me? We've just built our lives, and there is no margin for us to be able to give. We spend right up to the edge, and there's no margin for us to open our hands. And I believe in this room there are some families who need to gather around your kitchen table... And sit down and look at your family expenses. Find the waste. And I promise you it's there. Because every time we do it, we're ashamed at what we find. Find the waste and go, oh, there is margin. It's just going to involve us saying no to lesser things so we can say yes to God. Right? Margin is created. Um, I think there's times that we struggle to give Because in everything that we might verbally affirm we trust God for, this is one of those areas that we struggle to trust God. I think we trust him for salvation and somehow think, God, I'll give you my soul and my eternity, but my stuff I need to manage. I think I'm going to be a better steward of that than you are. And we hear that out loud and we go, no, but in our reality, in the way we live, it's lived out as true right to push away from the biblical principle of tithing is to affirm i do not trust god i i, just, I can't trust him with this that's hard it's about margin it's about trusting here, here's, here's what i would say i think there's a lot of people uh, especially new believers or Young believers or people who are working through their faith and their relationship with Jesus where they just go, but I don't know how the church uses that, and I struggle to tithe to, to a, an institution and a place that I don't know that I can trust. Okay, that's a fair point. So let me, let me just give this back. One I want to remind you, God has set the church up as plan A for the salvation of the world the second thing I want to tell you is one of the most beautiful things that we have at New Beginnings is layers of financial accountability that do not draw a check from this church but operate independent of us in order to come in and put their fingers on areas if we were to ever get out of balance with how we spend. God has, this is the most financially, uh, this is the most, this, is th- this church operates with more financial integrity than any other place that I've ever been. And so if you're in a place this morning where you would say, I don't know that I can tithe here because I don't know that I trust what happens, then here would be my encouragement. Find a church where you can trust the leadership and trust that place so that you can begin walking in obedience. Because your obedience matters more to me than your church membership. Are you with me? Find a place that you can trust so that you can begin to experience the blessing of God when you walk in obedience in this area. It begins with the tithe. Here's the second thing. We also get to live this out practically in ministries like compassion. When you came in this morning, you should have gotten a packet like this. If you got one of these, hold this up. Let me see it. Just real quick. If you got a, if you got a compassion packet, yeah, good. Lots if you got one. If you didn't, on your way out, there's a table and more uh, packets that you can get. I want you to know something about, how many of you have heard of compassion before? You've heard, yeah, A a well-established ministry that operates with the highest levels of integrity to see God transform people's lives through the generosity of believers. I want you to know that every single one of these packets, this is not a random child, you know, that they downloaded from Google Pictures. Not who this is. It's not like the families in the frames you buy at Hobby Lobby. Marilyn is a real girl. Marilyn is Matt and Carrie Darby's girl now. That's who this is. These are children whose lives are going to be transformed by the generosity of God's people. And one of the ways that we can open our hands, live generously, and make an eternal impact is to engage in ministries. Light, compassion. And so today, I'm excited because I want to introduce a friend to you guys. This is Kiwi Kawani. You guys welcome Kiwi to the stage. <laughs> and so... Kiwi is uh, here because God has specifically used this ministry of compassion to be transformative in your life. And um, and so as we become a compassion church, as we begin to see how God would have us partner here and how he would have us engage to see lives change, I just wanted you to hear her story. It is a powerful story. So uh, Kiwi, tell us, how has God used this and just that Simple obedience of someone to open their hand and live generously. How has God used that to be transformative in your life?
1: Pastor Matt, and good morning, you Beginnings Church. Thank you so much for opening your church for um, a ministry like this. Because of that, I'm able to stand up here and give God all the glory for what he has done in my life. Mm. I was born and raised in the Philippines to a very poor family. My dad, he's an alcoholic. And each night, my parents would fight because he's always drunk. I have three brothers ahead of me who died because of lack of medical attention. My third brother, he was supposed to be born cesarean section, but my parents could not afford the medical care necessary. So what they did, they cut my mom open without proper anesthesia. My mom screamed for pain, but my brother didn't survive. But after that, I was born in another sister. And I remember growing up in the Philippines, it was so difficult that there are nights that we would beg our parents, ma, pa, we could not sleep because we were so hungry. But Mm. even my parents would give up the food that they're about to eat each night, which is most of the time rice and soy sauce or rice and salt. It would still be not sufficient. I remember I would always look at my neighbor's window and pretend to watch their television from outside of their house but I would look at their table and see food and wonder, why do they have food tonight and us not? Mm. And I remember vividly when apples were imported from America to the Philippines. Mm. And I would beg my mama, ma, please, I want to taste this apple. But even a rotten apple, my parents could not afford to buy. But you know what? This is not a sad story because we have a good father in heaven. Right. One day, my dad, who was always drunk, picked up a trap. I know the young people don't know what a track anymore. (laughs) It's a reading material about Jesus. (laughs) In the track, it says to go to a crusade. And my dad went to a crusade. And in that crusade, he heard about Jesus that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth Mm. in him will not perish but have an everlasting life. When everybody else said, your dad's not going to change, he's going to die an alcoholic, but the word of God says... Mm. Nothing is impossible right, with me. Right. In it. that crusade, my dad received Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. <laughs> and for the very first time, my dad went home sober.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: <laughs> and my mom was so surprised and asked him, What's wrong with you? What happened? <laughs> And my dad said, nothing is wrong with me. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and you need to come to church with me. So he brought us to church. And, me and my sister, we would sit in Sunday school, and they would sing about Jesus, that Jesus loves the little children, all the children in the world, red, yellow, black, and white, that he cares, he provides. But as a young kid, I could not comprehend that. Who is this Jesus? If he cares and if he provides, then why do we live this way? But you know what? We have a good father in heaven. At the age of seven, somebody from Australia Mm. picked up a packet and he started to sponsor me. And the very first thing in his letter, he said, Kiwi, you are pretty and Kiwi Jesus loves you. Mm. You know, I've never thought of myself as pretty or beautiful when I was Mm. a kid. Even my parents didn't tell me, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so pretty. It's not in our culture to tell our kids that. But later on, I begin to realize, Lord, is this how you see me?
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) That I'm beautiful and wonderful in your sight. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. That I am a child of a one true God. Mm -hmm. So I would go to the compassion program in our church and then they would teach us how to wash our hands, brush our teeth, give us dental and medical care. But most importantly, they would tell us about Jesus. And my mm-hmm. teacher there, one day, she told me, Kiwi, yes, you are poor. This is your situation. But this is not your destiny. For mm-hmm. in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. Plans to prosper you and not mm-hmm. to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And sometimes we stop there because we love the promises. We love the yeah. plans of God. But the following verses, it says, seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. That's it. So I begin to open my Bible. <laughs> I begin to read the words of God as it comes alive. Mm. I begin to grasp the promises of God for my life. Mm. And one day I told my mama, ma, I don't want to be poor anymore. <laughs> I want to get out of this situation. I want to go to college. I want to take up something. And my mama said, let's pray because God will provide. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Mm. And God did provide. This lady who is standing in front of you right now is a physical therapist working in a hospital in Dallas, Texas. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) God is so good. After my graduation from college, I need need to take a very difficult exam, my licensure exam. And I was so scared. I told the Lord, Lord, you said in your word, we're not the tail, but the head. Mm. So I want to top my exam. But in reality, I was just so scared. But every time I opened my Bible, God would tell me, Kiwi, is there anything too hard for me? The Mm -hmm. answer is nothing, absolutely nothing is too hard for the Lord. All of my promises for you are yes and amen. Out of 1,700 students who took the exam in the whole Philippines, I landed 10th place.
0: Wow. Wow. That's awesome.
1: And because of that, Pastor Matt, they gave me a medal. (laughs) And as I was receiving this medal, I told the Lord, Lord, if only my sponsors were here, Mm. (laughs) I'm going to give this medal to them. You know what, in our church every year we have a prayer and fasting. And I don't know if you do it here in your church. But mostly I don't join because I was hungry when, when I was a kid. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but that year I said, I'm going to pray for that I'm going to meet my sponsor. February came, March came, and April a bunch of, uh, a group of Australian sponsors came to the Philippines mm. and they asked me to give my testimony. And after that, they said, Kiwi, we want to invite you to Australia and we want you to meet your sponsors. Mm. And I think I have a picture for you. Wow. <laughs> And I ran to them and hugged them and over and over again, I told them, thank you so much. You didn't just change my life, but my family. And I Mm. know one day my community, my mom became a pastor of a small community church in the Philippines. Mm. Three years ago, we opened our own kids ministry in our own backyard. And we named it to God be the glory kids ministry to give him all the glory and praises. Mm. 14 years ago, I came to America to work as a physical therapist. And nine years ago, I got married to a wonderful man from Chattanooga, Tennessee. (laughs) Yes, I got myself a southern boy. (laughs) (laughs) My husband's name is Terry Cook, and he's an executive chef in Dallas, Texas. Imagine, I was hungry when I was a kid. Now I'm married to an executive chef. (laughs) 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 I will never be hungry again. Come on. Single ladies, God can surprise you like that. <laughs> <laughs> and during the wedding, I invited my parents to come to the United States. And you know where I took them after the wedding? I think I have a picture for you. <laughs> I took my parents to an apple orchard in L.A.J., Georgia. <laughs> mm. Remember the, the apple story? And my dad, he's picking up apples from the ground. And I said, no, Dad. Not those rotten apples. God has blessed us exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. Mm. They weren't able to pick up the freshest apples from the tree. God withheld that rotten apple years and years ago because He has something better for us. And at that moment, in that orchard, we're just celebrating about the goodness, the grace, the faithfulness, the compassion of God in our lives. Mm. And I know and I believe that God has blessed us not Mm. to just keep it to ourselves. We're just mere stewards of these all blessings that God has given us. God wants us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You know the saying, Pastor, that hurt people hurt people? Mm -hmm. But blessed people bless people that's right i am now a sponsor of four children mm-hmm. two from the philippines because i'm biased you bet. <laughs> you bet one from haiti and a little boy named juan from bolivia and six years ago i went back home and met my sponsor children and think i have a picture for you and i told them hang in there do not give up and that's a word for you too Hang in there. Do not give up. If you're undergoing a very, very difficult situation, God is for you. He is close to the brokenhearted. His ears is not deaf not to hear you. His hands is not short not to touch you. He is for you. If God can do it to me, he released me from poverty in his name, he can do it to you. Mm -hmm. And one day through you, he will give you an avenue, a chance, even a platform to tell your neighbors, to tell your acquaintance, to tell your family, to tell a church, to tell the world that we have a good, good Father in heaven. To him be all the glory and honor and praises forever and ever. Thank you so much, church, and God bless you
0: all. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Church, um... How do we live with urgency and leverage everything we have to make a kingdom impact, an eternal impact? Kiwi is knit to her sponsors. They are eternal friends. Eternal friends. That's what Jesus is talking about, to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We are becoming a compassion church. Every child that you see on the, on the uh, packets that you received this morning, and all of them on the tables out there are all from the same village in Honduras. I believe it's pronounced La Ciba, And we are going, there's some three or 400, and our goal is that just between the Longview and Gilmer campus, we sponsor every one of them. Every one of them. Marilyn lives in La Ciba, and she's gonna be ours. And who's gonna be yours? That child on there, that's not a Hobby Lobby kid a real kid in Honduras who we want to sponsor. So, if God is speaking to your heart to be a part of that, I want you to walk right out to that table when this service ends, fill this card out and sponsor one of these kiddos. Um, if God has just moved on your heart and he's revealed you 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 know it that taking that first step of financial obedience and and tithing is just a thing you're not doing and you're not sure how to do it, this morning is an opportunity for you to just come and you can come to us. We would want to pray. No, you're not going to pray with anybody who's ever done it perfectly. You're going to pray with people who are still wanting to do it better and better and better. And so if that's you and you just need prayer, you need to surrender this area of your life, come and pray. But I want to tell you above all of this, before God wants your money he wants your heart and if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life and I'm talking about you can find that moment where he transformed you if you have not done that that's why you're in the room this morning so I'm going to ask you just to pray with me ask you to bow and if this morning your confession would be I don't know that I've made Jesus the Lord of my life I don't know that he's transformed me but I know I want him to I want that hope and that that joy and that life and those promises that Kiwi talked about. I want to be able to leverage my life for the kingdom. If you have never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you can do that by simply praying, Father, I need you to save me. I believe that your word is true, that Jesus died for me, that my sins are forgiven in him. I am asking you to be the Lord of my life. Come and change me, transform me, so that I will belong to you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, the moment we stand up and start singing, you need to step out and come tell somebody. That's what our team is waiting to hear this morning. Just come and say, I don't know what else to do, but I've made Jesus the Lord of my life you need prayer for walking in a new measure of obedience in this area, come and let's pray. But whatever you need God to do, step out. Have the courage of obedience. Let's stand and let's respond.